Hey there, everybody. My name is Brian, and welcome to Ultimate Spin, the one and only Spider-Man podcast specifically for fans of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Jack, and in this episode, the crossover made for this show continues as the sparks start to kindle for Gwen and Miles in Spider-Gwen number 16. Plus, we'll share our reactions to the news about Miles finally making his movie debut as Spider-Man. My name's Kyle, and if this is your first time checking out the show, you can always visit Ultimate Spin Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast find show notes and catch up with our older episodes and of course facebook and twitter is where you can find us on social media our show is by fans for fans meaning that we love to hear from you and what you think of these characters and their adventures drop us a line and join in the conversation and before we get into spider gwen number 16 we had some big news with the announcement that miles is finally making his way to the big screen hallelujah hallelujah 2017 is the year for Ultimate Spin, apparently. Apparently. We're getting everything we've ever dreamed of. So, yeah, I mean, we don't know much about it at this point. All we know really is that it's being brought to us from the co-directors of the Lego movie, Philip Lord and Chris Miller. So that already bodes well. I mean, I think that movie, I don't know about you guys, I loved it. I thought that was a great blend Mm. of humor and heart. I think if they can bring those qualities to Miles and his universe, that's a pretty good thing. But my understanding is this is going to be separate from the whole marvel cinematic universe it's kind of doing its own thing i don't know if this is uh paving the way for a separate animated movie universe but for now it seems like he's almost kind of walled off in his own little sandbox to play in what do you guys think about that does that matter i assume this is sony because sony have the um animated rights or something like that i'm not quite sure how that works I think it was strictly for live-action stuff that they could deal with, because um, obviously Marvel have the rights to all t- all the characters they can use in TV, but if they can't use it in the MCU, that's why like the X-Men don't appear mm. in cause X-Men could appear in Agent in like Agents of Shield, but they won't use them because it's like right there's a movie series, why mess with that unless you actually have to, even that spike. Because, you know, Fox and Marvel Studios don't in any way do anything to spite each other. Mm. Well, if, we, if we're talking about the kind of the fact that it's an animated feature rather than a live action thing, the fact that um, that we've got co-directors of um, Bob Paschetti and Peter Ramsey. And Peter Ramsey, some of our listeners may recognize from Rise of the Guardians, which was 2012, I think, Um kind of an animated fantasy thing that for all intents and purposes is really good but it's like full of mythical characters and stuff and it's kind of really beautifully animated and it's the kind of pixar style 3d animation so maybe we'll be getting that sort of thing rather than a cartoon style animated feature that they haven't really confirmed either way it's just standalone animated whatever that means would you guys prefer a 2d kind of animation or a 3d animation or I would like the the sort of classic 2D style, and maybe it's my age, but for me, there's sort of a timelessness <laughs> to that. Yeah, definitely. I was just trying to think about if they are able to exist in their own kind of pocket continuity, then to really embrace the whole Miles origin and give us the death of ultimate Peter Parker, and then portray that whole story, that first arc of living up to the legacy and the reluctant hero and culminating in the whole Uncle Aaron thing. I think there's, that would be a great first movie if it could go on to be a series. 
yeah, I wondered if they would try and set up their own animated, I hate to say this phrase, animated cinematic universe compared to the live action cinematic universe. This is quickly going to get very complicated, but I like the idea of having, like you said, telling bigger stories. And they call it standalone. I don't know if that means, oh, we have no plans for a sequel right now, or that's just to clearly state it's not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That phrase could mean a few different things, but I would assume that basically everything comes with a plan for like a trilogy these days. So you would assume something that has clearly caught the headlines and caught people's attention as much as this has. Right. That they would have a plan for like, well, we're going to do a Miles film and then we can combine that with this and this and have them team up to do that and blah, 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 and kind of build a a thing around it. I still think the weirdest thing about it is not that it's an animated film. It's that it's a Spider-Man animated film that will be in cinemas. If it was just, say, an animated TV film or going straight to DVD... I don't think there'd be any sort of like weird question about the situation. What kind of tie into the the actual MCU? What we recognise as the MCU? Yeah, that's what makes me lean towards it being a three D animated thing because I think we're in the age of 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 Pixar and those kind of companies defining what it means to be an animated movie. So I I'm very much leaning towards that. It need to be something uh, spectacular to to stand out because right? Don't uh, we have a Han Solo movie coming out as well? Yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of the Han Solo film, mm-hmm. um, Donald Glover's in that. Ooh, did they so, I wonder, are we going to get Donald for Spider-Man? Is he going to play Miles again? Oh, probably not. No, maybe Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> shave his head and call him Jefferson. He'll be fine. You don't have to shave his head. It's animated. Come on. Don't be dumb. But speaking of Jefferson, he is currently missing. Oh, now that is... One heck of a segue there, Brian. Well done. Hey, now. Yeah, well, let's get to uh, catching up with Spider-Gwen number 16. So, depending on when you're hearing this episode, it could have been a couple of days, weeks, months, or even years since the issue came out, and maybe a while since you've read it. So, we'll give you a little bit of a recap to catch up on what happened on this issue, and then uh, we'll jump into our discussion. I think it's my turn, isn't it? So, uh... I think it's you. In Spider-Gwen, number 16, Miles is settling into Earth-65 and its crazy sugary soda. As Miles explains the situation with his dad, Gwen confides in him and they bond over their missing fathers. Miles Morales meets Matt Murdock and the Kingpin, as always seems to be, one step ahead of everyone else. Murdock gives them both one task, kill Jefferson. Gwen follows the lead from the Kingpin into Club Scorpion, and our heroes instantly get into some trouble, culminating with a sharply dressed Jefferson arriving on the scene, to Miles' surprise. The thing that kind of stood out to me, I mentioned straight away there that Miles is kind of settling into Earth-65, and it feels like some time has gone by and they've already been talking to each other straight away. On the opening page, they're kind of mid-conversation, and we're not picking up where we left off in uh, Spider-Man number 12. And I love that. I, I love that. I think we, you know, we were talking about it last time, just the the difference in writing styles between Bendis and Latour and how Bendis takes his time and Latour kind of moves at a, at a quicker pace with, with uh, Gwen's storytelling. And this is not the first time this has happened in Spider-Gwen. We've had, if you go all the way back to the beginning where Gwen's dad knows who she is and they're going to have a talk about it. They're in an alley and then the next issue, it just kind of jumps forward and they're at home. So, I actually like that because you don't really need to see, you know, how did they resolve things with the ringer? You know, clearly they won and they took care of it. And (laughs) who are you? Who are you? And what's going on? Like, 
yeah. we know what that is. And I, I really appreciate how he just jumped past all of that. You mentioned sugary soda and it's, it's very sweet because uh, in, in more, in more ways than one, because the whole kind of tone for me of that opening scene, that conversation, we know that they're from all the promotion and stuff that they're going to get together in some way. So it did feel like a very kind of old fashioned first date. You go and share a soda. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about kind of like a, an all American classic, just hang out and drink some sodas together. And uh, you, you kind of bring on, it's very kind of, I guess kind of heartwarming and, and it's not instantly super romantic, but they're playing it very quietly. And and you like, so it's kind of this classic kind of date situation. So I was very, very worried we would get the opening page of the kiss again that I mentioned when we had the previous issue. And I was like, are they going to do this every issue of this crossover? It's going to be, here's the kiss and here's Gwen's recap and blah, 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 blah. And have this whole kind of, and that would really slow down the pacing for me. Latour and Rodriguez really, really nailed it. Yeah, this issue for me. I, I absolutely, and I think what really blew me away with this opening scene is that, on one hand, Jason skips the obvious. You know, the obvious thing is to pick up from you know wrapping up the fight, and the, like I was mentioning, the whole Gwen and Miles realizing who who the other is, skipping past the obvious, and then landing on what should have been screamingly obvious, and having them bond over their dads, like their relationships with their dads. And I didn't even make that connection until I was reading how they were sharing what their fathers mean. And that was like, that was right in plain sight all along. Why did we talk about this last issue? Why didn't we think of this? That's, oh, Jason Latour, you genius. Yeah, like so good. I, I, I love that. It's like screamingly obvious. I think this is that whole like, opening segment there was probably my favorite. And it just leading to them hugging it out, comforting each other. I think this was my favorite part of the issue. It doesn't worry about the whole. <laughs> I said it. I feel like I said it a thousand times. We must fight first, and then we become friends. <laughs> Hell, we might end up fighting again later on, and become <laughs> lovers. Who knows? But <laughs> you know, skipping that there is just makes it so much more enjoyable. And doesn't go down that that really, really annoying, frustrating trope. It kind of has a bit of um, the recap of the last issue. There was a point when I'm reading it, I think the first time, where it was like, surely people should be aware of this anyway, because they read the first issue. See, not necessarily, I thought, because what if you're just reading Spider-Gwen? It's always weird with these sort of crossovers because i always assume that when the crossover like this happens the reader is aware of it but this might just be me being unrealistic i think your assumption of the awareness comes from having read comics for so many years and being i don't want to say in the industry but so aware of the industry in that we podcast about it we've written about it we've all reviewed comics before the three of us and and many other podcasters talk about these comics for hours at a time, week in, week out, month in, month out, that sort of thing. We're hyper aware of, oh, here's another event, here's another crossover. Oh, yeah, I know who Spider-Gwen, I know who Miles Morales is. I think a lot of readers are a lot more kind of laid back and a lot more kind of unaware of the inner workings of the industry and not knowing a crossover means that you have to read both series together. 
loads of people I know didn't do that with recent crossovers in some other Marvel books and things like that. And we're just, I really like Gwen, but I'm not a big Miles fan for whatever reason. So I'll just stick with Gwen and see how it goes. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't do the whole spider women thing and crossover and read all the other stuff like we did. I'll be honest. I probably wouldn't have done if I hadn't been on this show and I'm, I'm glad I did. But I think a lot of Brian's probably right in that a lot, especially a lot of younger readers probably have no idea how this all works and they just see part two and they're like, okay, right. I uh, will just assume it's, everything's fine. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm over assuming things as well. It's a really elegantly written scene if you go back and look at it, because it works for those of us following both series. If you're just following Gwen, it catches you up on what how Miles came into the story and what's going on with him and the dynamic between him and his dad, which is, as we can see, uh, going to be key to this series. But also, if you happen to be just a Miles reader coming over to this book to catch up, it gives you Gwen's background and sets up her relationship with her dad. So it, it really kind of checks off all those possibilities. And in just a few short panels, it, it covers all of that. And then, you know, we're talking about the whole kiss. This scene culminates in a hug. And it just, the whole connection feels really organic. None of it, to me, reading it felt forced. Because I'll be honest, when they announced, oh, Gwen and Miles are going to get together, part of me was kind of indifferent you know, almost rolling my eyes a little bit like, oh, that's, I guess, something you just kind of have to do for marketing or whatever. But I'm very pleasantly surprised to see that there's a genuine thread linking these two characters and to see how Bendis and Latour are finding ways to tie them together. So yeah, I, I was all about that opening scene. And then to bring in one of our favorite characters, the Kingpin, like crashing into the scene. And Miles freaking out and not knowing about Gwen's powers and having this kind of frantic moment of like, why are you still falling? Oh my God, there's ninjas. Ninja I, nin ninja E, uh, there's loads of ninjas. Oh my God, what's going on? And he, how do you know my name? Miles is completely kind of freaking out. And I love it when Miles is kind of, his brain's working at a thousand miles an hour and he's quipping as he's swinging through the streets and, and shouting stuff and freaking out. And he's just like this amazing kind of, it's classic Spider-Man stuff. It, it's really good character building stuff and the quips and stuff is kind of classic Peter Parker and it's something Miles in a very different way to Peter has has carried over and carried over the kind of mantle of Spider-Man in that way as well. And the scene is is such a treat especially if it's your first time reading a Spider-Gwen book because this is where Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi kick into gear and get to show off with that whole scene. I mean it just the colors just start exploding those shots of the buildings as they're swinging overhead and then as Matt enters the scene with that sort of red haze over him and mm. every panel with this character for me was was gold. Just the reflection of the glasses like with uh, and his glasses of the two characters, that is one of my favorite panels in a long time. And, uh, of which there are a lot, but that one just popped out of me like, holy crap, that's intense and fantastic. I always love to see Matt Murdock. We know that already. He's, he's my favorite Earth-65 character. And like I was saying before, his his imposing thing, you've got these so many, if, if we're talking about camera angles in terms of panels, you get the shot from sort of below his waist looking up at him so often. And that gives him this towering kind of intimidating presence, especially because Miles is, is fairly short in terms of superheroes. You know, he's not towering over everybody like the Hulk is or, or a giant thing like Venom or anything like that. He's quite a small statured superhero. And you have... 
just a guy in a suit towering over him and and Miles thinks he knows who Matt Murdock is and Murdock completely plays with that and know and does know who he is and just toys with him and it's a great great scene it's such a, a clever kind of way to show like you said Brian new readers that this is not the Matt Murdock you think you know right if you've never read Earth 65 books before I love the uh, the next scene as well, where uh, Gwen and Miles are in the attic and she's trying to figure out a disguise to, <laughs> to get into Club Scorpion. And they've bonded over their dads. Now they're starting to bond a little bit over their relationship to Peter Parker. I, I think, again, like finding things that were really obvious that or that should have been obvious that maybe we haven't touched on. I mean, we've talked about how awesome a character Genki is. And Gwen doesn't really have anybody. Like, even though she's surrounded with all these people in her life, she's very alone. And having them bond over that, like, you know, I've got no one to talk to. And it's like, well, I'm here. Like I said earlier, it just feels really organic and believable. And there's that panel where he's got his hand on her shoulder, and then you turn the page, and it's that tight shot of them staring into each other's eyes. And like I said, I was originally indifferent to this whole pairing, but that panel... Kudos to Robbie and Rico in particular. I mean, that's where I bought into them pairing up. Definitely. We were worried that it was going to rush too fast and, and they were suddenly going to be like boyfriend and girlfriend. And we even had the cover where they were they were married in the kind of renew your vows faux pas, I guess. Um, but they seem to be pacing this perfectly for this kind of teenage. Are they flirting? The, oh, yeah, they're definitely flirting. Okay, yeah, yeah. And moving on to... Club Scorpion. If you're not used to the Spider-Gwen vigils, they threw you in the deep end on this one. That's right. We're back in the club. The greens and blues and purples and pinks and lasers and... Oh, wow. What an amazing looking scene. And having the balance of like the pitch black backgrounds and then just this cascade of light as she goes through into the VIP area. Oh, man. So, so good. And we get Doc Ock 65 coming back as well. <laughs> with his the the terrifying cyclops octopus creature this whole fight it's i guess it's the only real fight sequence and it's another demonstration of like for again for people who are not reading the the gwen issues more of the after i guess would you call them after effects that we don't really see with miles like he hits doc ock and then you actually see all the like the star- stylized stars mm. of him being totally <laughs> KO'd. Right. <laughs> and then obviously when Miles uses his venom sting, and his, what is it like saying, what? I can't even really read what the lettering yeah. is actually saying. But that sort of thing we wouldn't be seeing in the Miles series by any of the other artists that have, have actually drawn him so far. Not to mention the explosion of color afterward, which is beautiful. Yeah, um, talking of the Venom sting, I love that Miles didn't know that Gwen didn't have powers, and mm-hmm. Miles has a bunch of powers that Gwen doesn't know he has. They have the complete opposite kind of reaction to each other, like, why aren't you swinging? Why aren't you saving yourself? Okay, and then Matt obviously explains it. And then she's like, what? You can go invisible? What? You can do electric shock venom? What? What is going on? What kind of Spider-Man are you? Wait until she sees him go Super Saiyan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When he does his 
Super Saiyan. Oh, I swear, if that thing. if that's the resolution of this story, oh, look out! <laughs> <laughs> look out! I will go Super Saiyan. <laughs> We're gonna get a bleep-filled Brian on that episode. <laughs> it's your chance to go on one of those rants, Brian. But yeah, I, I really, really love this scene. Like you said, Kyle, it's kind of a a fight scene, action scene. I mean, there's a punch and a shock and a couple of kicks thrown, and that's about it. But it's it's so beautifully done by Rico and Robbie and the team. And then culminating in Miles ending up at his dad's feet, looking like some 40s gangster wearing Elton John sunglasses. Like, looking awesome, I thought. That was... Looking um, super sharp and amazing. Damn, like you could hear the theme music as soon as, uh, <laughs> as, as you're on the page. <laughs> like... So my uh, question for you guys from that last page... Is the you're awful scrawny to be any kind of man? Does that say to you that he knows that's Miles Morales, like, and he's like shooting him down for whatever reason, or does it say that this is some possible other version, mind wiped version of Jefferson, who's like doesn't know who Spider Man's true identity is? Because my first impression was that he doesn't know that's Miles straight away. I took it that way as well. But then, of course, the last line is Miles just yelling, Dad. So Exactly. Who's going to be surprised if then the the next scene, if, if Bendis does pick up from that and then is like, Dad, what do you mean, Dad? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, and then just have some kind of get out for that. I think he could be, in this case, kind of be, still be undercover in a sense. Um, mm. And he's just not acknowledging that. He might know it's Miles simply because it doesn't appear. He might have known that this simply doesn't appear to be only. It only seems to be one spider, and that's Gwen. And seeing him all of a sudden just turn up, it's like, oh, of course it's my son, blah, blah, blah. But this idiot is going to get me unable to complete my mission, so I'm just going to completely ignore him, like I did when I ran away from him the last time. I'm going to blow your minds with this. That's not Jefferson. That's Earth 65 Miles Morales. Holy what? That's my theory. Oof. <laughs> You've melted my brain. So basically, we're going to see Earth 65 miles before we do see the regular universe miles. That's great. There you go. Oh, this this, this is the anti payoff of Spider Man. <laughs> right. oh, don't do that to me, Brian. Don't do it to me. I'm not sure if I'm talking to you, Brian, or Brian. Or Brian. <laughs> That's know. right. Can you imagine? Like, what a great twist that would be after all that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I came through a rift. I'm the Miles Morales of 616. Yeah. Like, mm, don't you dare. <laughs> you revealing that, that theory, I, th- I feel like this is also like some sort of pay... Early is some sort of payback for them basically stealing our potential logo. Oh, there you <laughs> If you've just blown the whole story wide open, Brian. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got alternate dimensions and stuff. Crazier things have happened in comics. I would not be disappointed if that was the... That was the twist. That would be... What a twist! That would be so... If you hadn't have said that, that would have melted my brain so much. That'd be like, yep, fair enough. Oh, fair did enough. I ruin it? <laughs> I, d- oh, I hope not. True, I don't know. Yes. I haven't read it, so... <laughs> That's a big if, but yeah. yeah. One more thing I also wanted to mention, and it's not even... like It doesn't happen in this issue. And he's not even affiliated to this issue. Is I think that Justin Ponzo adjusting it to match the actual style of Earth-65 in the last issue help smooth the transition completely and then obviously the next this actual spider-man issue issue 13 is still going to be in f65 at least the beginning of it will be 
and we'll just it'll be a lot more seamless transition and that i already love that or if we if we jump back to miles telling the story in flashback i just realized that like you know that theory that i had as well that um that was going to basically replicate the black cat and Peter of kiss from to call from the original ultimate spider-man series probably not going to be a thing now because mm. she knows how old he is yeah because there's that little exchange like oh you're 16 no, i'm 17 in a month yeah that's weird she's 19 that's weird wasn't that well that was a whole kind of mini controversy even before a single issue had come out when the when the story was announced and the the covers were teased absolutely people were freaking out it got to the point where i think i don't know if bendis did i know latour had posted a whole thing on twitter about age and relationships and and stuff like that um so to have it so explicitly spelled out in the story seemed to be kind of acknowledging all of that concern but maybe not enough. Is it, is it age difference still a bit much if someone is almost 17? And, uh, and that age and is a bit weird. Isn't she barely 19? Yeah, and but barely she's barely 19. 19 as well. I think, I feel, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's not like she's he's 13 still. <laughs> All right? And she's 17. It's not, it's not that bad. But if he was 15, it would be illegal. Yeah, like, but... Not, not really Stop trying like... to get in the way of love. Stop <laughs> yeah. trying to get in the way of love, Jack. God. Didn't Ultimate Gwen kiss uh, Ganky in the original series? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, they've both kissed No, Gwen we don't now. remember. Nobody remembers. Nobody Never remembers. So as we wrap it up on uh, this show, we're going to bypass the whole scoring system and see if we can sum up our reaction to the book in three words. It was a subject I've, I've talked about quite a lot on this episode. I've got an alliterative phrase this time i've got pitch perfect pacing kyle how about you an old to bailey it's let's just hug adorable adorable and because i'm a big sap i'm going to say thoughtful sweet surprise i loved it i didn't know where this was going or how it was going to get there but it was a lot of fun they've done really amazingly well on this crossover so far and i have no reason to think why it would drive off a cliff Apart from, you know, Brian spoiling possible potential mind-blowing <laughs> reveals. <laughs> but yeah, I think these first two issues of this crossover have been absolutely fantastic. And some of the best issues we've had of these series in a long, long time. Maybe ever. Um, since At least since I've been on the show. I've had a lot of fun talking about this. And this crossover that was basically made for this podcast is living up and giving us some great content to talk about. So what more could you want? Well, I'll tell you what more we could want. We'd love to hear from you guys listening. Um, you can. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's uh, been a while since uh, since the issue came out. We we just love the characters and love talking about the stories. So let us know. You can always drop us a line on Twitter at the Ultimate Spin. Find our Facebook page at Ultimate Spin Podcast, or our website at ultimatespinpodcast dot com, and click on the Talk to Us button to send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So, guys, where can we find more of you online? You can find me on Twitter at JustKyleMC. You know, I, obviously I talk about these comics occasionally on there. We know wrestling, soccer. That's where I'm at. Oh, but- <laughs> <laughs> wow, all right. What was that? 
<laughs> I don't know. It sounded like it hurt. Talking about soccer. This is why I don't do accents. They're always terrible. Um, Jack, off you go. Wow. <laughs> oh, find you. <laughs> You're making me crazy right now. You can find me on Twitter at JLW Chambers. I also host another comic book podcast um, called the Intercomics Podcast. Um, I wasn't on the latest episode, funnily enough, for the first time in a long, long time. Um, so my co-hosts, Matt and Dan, uh, talked about a lot of Marvel books, funnily enough, um, including Monsters Unleashed number one, which was um, a weird kind of kind of new event happening in the Marvel Universe at the moment, which is surprisingly fun. Um, you can find all of those stuff at Intercomics Pod on Twitter. We have Patreon exclusive episodes as well. You can support us on Patreon. And we have another one coming out at the end of January. That'll be our third exclusive episode. And uh, Brian, I am scheduling you to be on the show hopefully in the next month or two. Oh. Depending on the guests and whatnot, I will tease it around. Um, it's the Superior Foes of Spider Man one that we've been teasing for a long, long time. We're trying to get everything sorted and have Brian on the show finally on the Intercomics podcast as well. For me, other podcasts I've done and Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Um, you can find it all for me at project37.net. So that's it for us for now. But coming up, who was that mystery man? We'll find out more as Sitting in a Tree continues with Spider-Man issue number 13. Thanks as always for listening. We'll catch you soon on the Ultimate Spin. Ultimate Spin.